0: So today on the podcast, I have back on my friend Travis Nowotny. Uh, me and Travis are both at the Western Hunting Summit, able to sit down for a conversation all about next-level bow hunting. Uh, this guy is consistently successful, and he, he's he's one of us. He's a, a public land do-it-yourselfer, hunts really hard in his home state of Idaho, uh, and then also travels to some different states and does some bow hunting around there. But uh, just a great guy. And we go in-depth on this, uh, in-depth on, on archery success and consistent success and, and what it takes to fill those tags uh, with quality critters. So I really enjoyed the conversation. I think you guys will too. want to thank my sponsors for today's show. I want to thank Sig Sauer Optics. Uh, I'm so impressed by the glass of Sig Sauer Optics. I've been using them the last handful of years. I love their binos. I'm using the 11x45. Um, I love their spotting scope, that 27 by 55 x 80 uh, Such high-end glass in those. They're really dialed in on, on their coatings and really dialed in on quality. You get a really good bang for your buck. Uh, also so impressed by their rifle scopes. I got one set up on that new Savage 6.5 Creedmoor. Uh, it's got the BDX system. Uh, BDX system will talk uh, to the scope, to the phone, to the rangefinder to find your exact point of aim, it's, which is really cool stuff. Uh, I also think they build the best rangefinders in the market uh, uh, good consistent ranges on light and dark targets, uh, fast readout, powerful laser to be able to shoot through grass, angle compensation uh, so you can shoot those steep sh- shots for, for muleys and such and um, count on them to be right on the money. Um, I'm also really impressed. The new product I've been using is the new Image Stabilization by Uh You wouldn't believe what a huge difference this makes uh, you flip this switch on the image stabilizing binos and, and it just um, it slows everything down like you're glassing from a tripod. Uh, it, it's just amazing. I, uh, I you know I actually think I'll be using these binos this season. They're just such a difference maker and sitting glassing with my buddies, It's just amazing how many more deer I'll pick out and then also how well I can field judge them. And so they have a couple different sizes of those. Uh, One that I just got, the 10 by 30, Uh, they also have like a 15 by 45, I believe, Uh, but it's just an awesome product and they're fairly inexpensive too. The the 10 bys are like 500 and some and then the 15s are 700 And some, but man, it is an absolute game changer. This is the future of optics. I truly believe it. So uh, if you're in the market for any new optics, make sure to check out Sig Sauer. I also want to thank Swagger bipods. Uh, Shooting a rifle accurately is all about your rest and and Swagger builds some great ones. Uh, They have spring tension loaded bipods that'll fit on your rifle so you can swivel and track your target left and right or up and down. Uh, You can shoot steep hillsides. You can get really comfortable with your shooting position to make accurate shots. Uh, They have multiple different sizes of the bipod. They've got a bench rest one. Uh, They've got their standard uh, 42-inch one, which extends lower or higher, uh, sits on your rifle stock. And they also have a quick detach, so you don't have to carry the weight of that bipod on your rifle all the time. You can have it sitting in your pocket or in your pack, and then connect it when you're getting close to that shooting situation. Uh, If you don't like bipods on your rifle, they also have really good shooting sticks that have the same theories behind them with spring tension loaded, get comfortable in your shooting positions, and make really accurate shots. So uh, my kids have been using these um, on our hunts that we've been doing for mule deer and antelope. Uh, My wife has as well. Uh, they, they just work really well. Uh, I also have one set up for my dad. He's been shooting that on his rifle, and it, it's made him a way better shot with his rifle, just getting those really good, solid rests. And, and out west, there isn't always a tree positioned you can lean on or... Uh, the pack position isn't always the best rest. And so having these Swagger bipods on there, they're just going to make you a more accurate shooter and make more precise shots. So if you're in the market for a bipod or shooting sticks, make sure to check out Swagger. And over at Eastman's, um, I'm going to go meet up with the guys. I saw them Saturday, dropped off my bow case to them and podcast recording equipment. Uh, we got a good trip coming up. So uh, I'm going to fly down to Phoenix. I've got an elk seminar down there. It's free if you're in that Phoenix area. Swing by. Uh, come see me in there. It's going to be a long talk uh, all about elk hunting. I'm also going to record, you know, I might pre-do this, um, this talk Just on the podcast to kind of get me ready for it and also get you guys that same pertinent information to elk hunting. So I'll get on that, see if I can get that done. But uh, if you're in the area, swing by. Uh, From there, uh, we're going to go see we're visiting uh, Black Rife Coffee Company, which I'm really excited about. And then um, we're going to do a talk the following night, which is the 22nd. I believe that's Thursday. And that's going to be at Fieldcraft Survival. Uh, so I'm really excited about this. Uh, I'm going to be speaking with Dan Picar. Uh, we're also let's see who else is speaking up there. I think, um, I, th- I think, uh, Mike Glover's going to be speaking there. Um, there's tickets available. So if you're in the Salt Lake city area Thursday, uh, come by and see us there. Um, from there I go to uh, mountain archery fest going to be hanging out there for the weekend. So, uh, if you're at that shoot, come by and see me. Um, yeah, we'll do some shooting and, um, Man, uh, kill some foam out there. It should be fun. There's just nothing better than these mountain shoots to get me ready for my hunts. And uh, these hunts are coming up quick. I got less than a month for um, going to hunt one of these uh, high country mule deer hunts. So super excited about that. And uh, also uh, make sure to check out Tag Hub. We're giving away that Quiet Cat bike this month uh, to one of our members. Um, and, and check out the magazines. We've got that promo code. Elevated 321. That'll get you both magazines, outdoor edge knife for $50, or one of the magazines and an outdoor edge knife for $30. Again, that code is elevated 321. And um man, I've got a, a good video coming out. Make sure to check out our Beyond the Grid, which is our internet TV show. You can search Eastman's Hunting TV. Uh, we're going to continue to release uh, some of my older episodes on there that have been on the Outdoor Channel, and then I've got a great new one coming up. It's a high country hunt from last year, and I'm really proud. I think it's like one of the, the best videos that I've put out, so uh, just keep improving, slowly but surely. Um, so yeah, super stoked about that, but um, we got a good podcast for you today, uh, one of my favorite people, Travis Nowotny. And uh, it's a great podcast, all in-depth about um, uh, archery stalking and and mindset behind it and the the nuances to it uh, to give yourself a better chance at harvesting that animal, how to be clutch. So uh, we'll get into that podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Brian Barney, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. All right, I'm here at the Western Hunting Summit. I have one of my favorite people, Travis Nowotny, uh, such a consistently successful hunter, and what I love is uh, a blue-collar guy like the rest of us, works the full-time job, puts a ton into scouting, and I just listened to his talk at the Western Hunting Summit and uh, was able to wrestle him away here for an hour, so thanks a bunch, Travis, I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks for inviting me on, and it's always fun to just talk bow hunting so
0: well um we do a podcast whether i'm recording or not we had a pretty good conversation last night just about hunting but uh yeah i just love talking to you about bow hunting um and and congratulations on goat knives it's doing really well and growing in popularity i I just love it it fits a real good niche in the industry talk about your knives a little bit
1: yeah so uh i kind of developed uh goat knives just because um i thought there was a hole in the market like as a backcountry hunter and, um, you know, someone that really is mindful on weight and what goes in my pack. Um, that was kind of the idea behind it. Like I, I kept thinking about, um, coming up with a knife multi-tool, um, basically just to be able to sight in your bow or tighten something up, tighten a tripod. Um, and I was able to put that into a knife platform and that was the start of it. Like it was pretty much just driven a hundred percent on my own personal. Um, it, I just wanted, I just wanted to be able to shave a little weight and not have to s- throw a set of bulky Allens in my backpack. And if I could kill two birds in one s- with one stone, you know, even if not very many people bought the product, i didn't really care you know it was it was more for myself and and to see it through it was just fun fun project and um as i started that it uh i just i see um things that just uh, uh an easier way to get out and uh
0: what word am I thinking of here? I'm, I'm drawing a blank. but Well, you just talked for an hour, so I don't blame you. But, <laughs> yeah, it fits such a niche in the industry because you've got the Allen tools into it, and then it's the replaceable blade knife, which I like. And then I haven't tried out the fixed blade, but it looks like you built a really good fixed blade.
1: Yeah, and, and that, that was kind of the um, thought behind that was just shaving weight and functional and... and Just specifically tailored to my needs as a bow hunter. That thing
0: saved me this year. So I was using your knife this past season. Uh, I think I've only used it for one season. It's only been out for a year or two. Is that right? A year, yep. Yep, a year. Okay. So I used it this season, and I had um, my, uh, my back bar bracket on my bow. It worked loose, and so my back bar was really loose on my bow, and it's a big allen on it. it's a three so it's never oh. one that I have yeah. because a common allen wrench you take a little wrench and I'll stick it in my bino harness or whatever the the allen keys, but it never had a big three eighths. well yep. this year it happened to me, and I had your knife on me and was able to use that three eights and tighten that thing down and save my hunt yep,
1: yep. yeah it's it's that's that was kind of why I developed it, you know. It's, you know, if you are got all this time invested in, you know, say a hunt in Nevada and you're in the in the high country and your sight comes loose, you're done. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? you got to hike to the truck, you know. Mm-hmm. So, instead of packing a, a bulky set of Allens, I can take three Allen keys, you know, and I can fix everything on my bow. Mm-hmm. So, and I can, I, I just carry just the ones I need specifically. I don't carry everything, so.
0: That's what I carry, too. Yep. yep. I have the ones that fit my sight, the ones that fit uh, that, that back bar, that three-eighths, that big one. But yeah, just the ones I need. And so it's such a minimalist design. And when you're backpacking, man, it's it's so advantageous. It's just awesome. Yep. Yep. So I can see why it's doing well because it fits a niche in the industry and fixes a problem. And I love that you designed it for yourself and for your own needs. I think those are the products that do the best. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah. I I didn't want to go through the effort just to put something out there. Like, you know, I want to innovate, you know, and it it excites me to innovate and come up with uh, a better design. Like I, I just like to always improve and use technology to my advantage. So. Yeah,
0: for sure. Um, Well, it's awesome. We've become friends over the last handful of years and um, man, you've really helped me out. Like, it's something that's not talked about much, but like a, a, a network of trusted friends that, that you can call. And, and not that I'm ever looking to get information from you, but I drew, you know, an Idaho tag last year, and I knew that you had experience in that as it's, you know, around where you live right there. And man, I was able to call you, and, and we're not sharing exact spots or locations or this is where this buck lives, but just for general information, you know, and, and you gave me great information last year and i was able to arrow buck and i really used the information that you gave me and i Uh, uh, I just you've always been so honest with me and so open and sharing information and in a day and age where it's really tough to share spots or give up good spots that you have so I just really appreciate you helped me out on that hunt Uh, I remember one back in Idaho a handful of years ago where you gave me a good tip on a backcountry spot I was able to arrow a buck in and um, so I just really appreciate you as a friend and, and helping me out and sharing that information man it was awesome
1: Thank you. Yeah. Likewise. I, it's nice to help people that are passionate and put in the same amount of effort that you do. You know, I don't, I don't have any trouble sharing information with people that I know are going to put the work in. So if they put the work in, then I know that you understand what it took to learn that stuff and appreciate it, you know? And I know, you know, uh, same thing. I drew a Nevada tag and I'd never stepped foot over there and it's a an easy to draw unit and I knew Brian had hunted it before and I reached out and I was like, "Hey, I'm not looking for any spots or anything, but is, is there any way do you have any idea on which trailheads to avoid?" Like I wanted to find the places that I didn't want to be and you n- named a handful of trailheads and you're like, "Yeah, no, there's there can be 20 horse trailers at this place, you know." And I'm like, "Okay, I, I noted." So mm-hmm. and that helped evolve my game from the start like I knew not not where to waste my time. So I didn't want to put all this effort in and, and compete with other bow hunters that are, you know, just as effective as I am or are going to push just as hard. So.
0: Man, um, you turned up a good buck there in Nevada, arrowed a good one. Um, You do really good, like I was listening to your talk today. You put a ton into scouting, don't you, and learning these areas so you're not wasting time. Like the key to being a successful bow hunter or like the key to elk is being into elk. The key to deer is being into deer and making plays and making stocks, isn't it? And that's like a lot of what you do. You put your effort into your research, into your scouting to make sure that when season gets here, you're on bucks. That That's exactly
1: right. I feel like the more effort you can put in before the hunt and uh, develop a good game plan, it's just going to give you confidence. And uh, you and I both know that uh, a lot of it is mental, the mental game of it, you know, knowing that um, what you're doing is going to pan out if you put the effort in. So
0: There's nothing worse than being lost on a hunt or second-guessing your moves or not knowing what to do gosh, that's a tough feeling. So if you put in the work and you know you've got good locations that hold animals, like you say, you can go in with confidence that you're going to be able to turn up animals. And you also, you can keep putting forth this effort because you you, you know you're going to turn them up and get into them because there's so much country that That is void of game animals, void of deer, void of elk. And if you can spend your time researching and scouting, like, like, and not be wasting time during that valuable season. Because there's short windows of time that we need to get it done.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah, I think opening days are very over, underrated, you know. Like, I put a lot of effort into knowing what I'm going to do opening day. You know, most of the time I'm up on the mountain in the dark you know, a couple of days ahead of time, getting a little pre-scouting in and then opening day. I'm hoping that I've got, you know, a buck maybe picked out, you know, say if I'm hunting a new state and I haven't had the, been able to put the work in, at least that way I can be confident in my plan. So
0: you are so good at the beginning of the hunt, capitalizing you, uh, you, uh, you kill a lot of animals on opening day, don't you?
1: Yeah. 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 Within the first few days, for the most part, I, I put all my, my effort into the pre-hunt. And then when the hunts gets there, I try to capitalize on my opportunities. So it it seemed to have worked really good for me. A lot of that was driven because I love to hunt everything. So, you know, like in Idaho, I'm able to get an archery antelope tag and a deer tag and an elk tag. Well, all that season, you know, besides antelope, it's, it's August 15th, to September 30th. So I got 45 days to get all this done and I want to do it all. And I want to experience it all. And I don't want to just do it all. I want to do it all on trophy animals. So, you know, it's, it's quite the feat to, to do so, I I know all of my legwork needs to be done beforehand in the preparation. So, mm-hmm.
0: well, and you're good at capitalizing on uh, capitalizing on those opportunities. It's so easy in the beginning of the hunt to think, oh, I've got this many days, or oh, I've got this on the back end, and it's it's like um you you get these opportunities and, and it's easy not to capitalize and think you have time, but pretty soon your days start running out. Uh, you get fatigued and really you're most efficient in the first three to five days of a hunt. And, and then, you know, you start to get tired. It's not as much effort. Uh, uh, you, you know, of course you want to keep putting effort forth, but boy, are you efficient in that beginning window of time. And you're really good at realizing that and capitalizing on that time. And just like you said, like. it's it may be opening day for hunting season but you've already put in the work you've already been excited about this hunt been finding animals scouting knowing what the animals are doing patterning the animals and so you've already been hunting for a week in this unit or more multiple weekends because you're a working class guy and so you know it's not like your season just lasted a day you just had a day where you could shoot that thing but you've been watching deer the whole time yep Yeah. It's super smart, man. Um, I, I love that you do that and I need to be better at capitalizing on the beginning of this hunt, uh, these hunts, like where you find your target animal that you're happy with and then you make it happen.
1: Yep. The more time you, you let go by, you know, um, there's more chance for a lion to move in and bump that buck and that screws things or just hunter pressure or then, you know, it's getting a little later in September and those bucks strip their velvet. Well, then they're a different animal altogether. Mm-hmm. So now you've got to drop down off those high peaks and drop into that secondary living. And it's just, the it, game it just, every day, it's getting harder and harder every day that goes by.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I heard so many similarities in your talk between our styles. And everybody kind of develops their own style uh, of hunting, you know, uh, of aggressiveness and patience. But there were so many similarities in your talk when you when you were talking about hunting and stalking and things. So on your stalks, it sounds like um, you, you don't wait around much. You're not going to wait two, three days on a buck. You see a buck and you're going to look for your opportunity and try to get in on them. So uh, like like what's your typical routine? Say it's it's first light and you hunt with your glass, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and hunting with your glass is almost a mindset, isn't it? It's not just walking around aimlessly looking at meadows with your binos. Sure, you do that. You have OCD, and you pull it up on every opening, but we're trying to find those master vantage points that show off an immense amount of country because if we can see them, we can kill them. You really hunt with your eyes a lot, and then I also heard that you say you hunt open terrain a lot too. Yep,
1: yeah, I'd say glassing is everything and having the... uh, a plan, basically, a mindset of getting to those vantage points, and I'm fr- I go from vantage point to vantage point, and um, you know, you can't kill them if you don't find them, and that's step one. So.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then on your stock, you know, like you're a real patient hunter. You're, you're patient and waiting for that buck to present the right shot. You're, you're patient on your stock to not, uh, to keep that element of surprise. But, but you're not going to wait around and wait a whole bunch. You find that buck, and then like what would be a typical day? Make it to the vantage point before first light. Like tell me your, your typical day when you find a buck that you want to kill.
1: Okay, so a typical day, I glass a glass of buck, you know, maybe it's first thing in the morning. I'm going to watch that buck. Um, and one of the reasons I target open country is so I can keep my eyes on that buck. The more you can keep your eyes on that buck, the more your odds are going to go up. So is what I'm really waiting for is I'm waiting for the afternoon for those winds to get good. So I know by hunting mule deer that most of the time a buckle bed one or two times before, you know, uh, his, his first bed is just, he might drop plop down right in the open cause he wants to rest for a little bit. And as the sun gets up and it gets a little hotter, He's going to maybe move into a timber patch or something like that. So you don't want to right off the bat, rush in there and make a play on this buck and then come to find out he moved to a different bedding area, you know? And that's, that's one of the reasons I like to hunt open country just so I can sit back. I can watch that buck. He's going to bed down. I'm going to wait for him a little later in the day. The sun's going to hit him. He's going to move to, you know, maybe under a rock or some, some better shade for the day. And, you know, that's about the time I'm going to execute my stock. I'm going to, I'm going to sit back. I'm going to take a good note of the country. Um, before I leave my vantage point, I want to get good landmarks and train features before I leave my vantage point to go after that deer. And, uh, yeah, I'm just going to try to close that distance as quickly as I can. And then uh... the
0: afternoons are great, aren't they? Like the afternoons, those winds, they get steadier, but they also get stronger too. So it helps with like noise cover. And and then you just have like this, this dominant wind, or you can tell the direction it's coming, which helps so much on the stock. And then also, you know, like you were stating, like, you know, that buck's not going to move, you know, his location and you can stock that location. And I also think a mule deer's afternoon bed He's going to hold put for longer.
1: Yeah, and I think they're a little more – they're tired then. So oh, you yeah. You catch them nodding off. If, if you do it right off the bat, they're more aware. They're still checking out their surroundings. They're sure sure—they're making sure everything's good before they get that second bed. And once they get that second bed and they've sat in there for 30, 40 minutes, that's when they start nodding off and you can get away with a little more. So,
0: Oh, good point.
1: I just – yeah, I love to wait till. it, it always seems like it's – 11 you know after 11 you know i mean i would say my best opportunities are like one to two because most time those bucks are asleep and they're just tired flies are buzzing around the wind's picked up it's consistent and you can just execute a perfect stock so Mm -hmm.
0: yeah and um so okay so you've got this buck bedded down in his second bed like how important is planning your stock or taking note of the topography or how you're going to stock this buck
1: I would say, uh, planning the stocks, not as important. The most important thing is just recognizing your landmarks. And then once you are, have a good, um, idea of the terrain, once you get over there, like say there's some, some burnt trees or some boulders or, um, right when I hit this saddle, I'm going to cut from that saddle straight over. And that's going to take me right to where the bucks bedded. Like I try to take, I put more emphasis on knowing where I'm going to be once I get over there, cause it's going to look a little different. And then, once, once I've determined that, I'm just going to try to close that distance as quickly as I can and get my eyes on that buck just in case, um,
0: you know, he, he moves his bed again. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like um, uh, 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 keeping eyes on that buck. There's so much to like with uh, experience hunting deer and experience hunting elk. Like like reading their mannerisms, reading their mood and their behavior and knowing it, you know, it's like you can tell by their ears or by erratic head movement and you can tell if a buck's got you pegged or doesn't have you pegged. And a lot of times a buck will hear something and look your direction but you know he's not spooky he's not going to get up and run he just heard something and so that's your time to be quiet and just lay low let him forget about you give him 10 minutes but but how much do you pay attention to the buck's behavior and mood and attitude and and mannerisms
1: that's everything like so once you close that distance and you can get you're basically i would say within 125 yards 150 yards something like that um that's when it's time to slow down and that's when it's most important to pay attention to his mannerism. So if a buck's sitting there relaxed, you know, sitting there twitching his ears, you know, everything's good. And that's when you're just slowly slipping in and you're closing that distance. And I like to close that distance until, you know, if I can, if I can get on top of that buck and kill him in his bed, I'm not afraid to do that at Me all. Too. Yep. Uh, I'll do it every time. I just don't like to leave time and opportunity for chance for something to go spook the buck. So but if he's in a spot that I, I know it's going to be difficult to get a shot, I'll get up as close as I can within my effective bow range and sit down and let it unfold. Mm-hmm.
0: So, Yeah, uh, I'm the same way. I play impatient. If I can shoot him in his bed, I'll shoot him in his bed. But I'm also not going to give away my position or – you know, like a lot of times I have to let the buck make the last move because it's like I can't expose myself to get that shot in his bed because he'll see me, his yep. head's up or his his head's this or his head's that. And so like a lot of times... I'll get to a position and his head's covered by a tree and I'll just wait. I know he's there and I'll let him walk out and make the move or let him stand up. It's, it's really, I like drawing on bucks right as they stand too. Yep. I'll do that a lot. Like yep. be in shooting position, really work on getting a good range, having my sight dialed bow in front of me. And when he starts to stand that, you know, that's a good opportunity to draw back and give it to yep, him. I'm the same way. The last thing
1: you want to do is go in there and, uh, Try to force something to happen. Oh, that's a good so point. Yeah, don't don't blow that opportunity. Once you're in there, you're he's unaware of your presence, and that's when it's
0: time to let it unfold. So and and don't stalk to failure. Right, a lot of guys get caught up as they just keep stalking until they blow the buck out. It's like stalk into your effective range and then wait, let it happen and let it develop. You know, instead of giving yourself away, keep that element of surprise. Well, so on your stocks, yep. What what would you say your average
1: time is on your stocks? Like. I mean, from the the time you get into, I would say inside the red zone where um, you're going to close the deal. Like, is there, is it typically? I mean, have you had days that you've had to wait it out all day? Like, what? How how does it work for you most time? Is there is there any kind of average to that or?
0: Yeah, I think um, those bucks tend to get up and change beds or get up and feed around. So a lot of times, like taking this backwards, like when I see the buck and he beds in a good spot and I'm making my play. I'm in a rush or a hurry to cover ground because I know he can't see me. He's not going to hear me. I'm a long ways away, but I need to make it to this buck before he moves again. Like I want to capitalize on the position he's in right then and there. So a lot of times I'm hustling. I go light. Like I'll usually leave my pack. I'll stick a a 10 ounce thing of water in my pocket. I'll have my knife and my headlamp and that's it. Super light. And I go get around him. And and then it's always different, you know, when to slow down, but you kind of like get these instincts the this feel of like how quiet you need to be at what time in the stock to not give yourself away. And then as I close in and I get close to that buck, you know, a lot of times that buck will stand within 15, 30 minutes of me getting there. Yep. It's just like the time it took me to get there and get into position. Now it's been that one hour, two hours for that buck. So he stands up and yep. I'll get my shot. I'd say I probably only shoot him in their bed, maybe 10% of the time, 20% of the time, just where I have the shot. Um, and and then the other times I'm being patient and letting them get up, but I have had to wait up to four hours for a buck to get up or sometimes he stands and he turns around and beds right right back down. down. Yeah. And I don't get a shot, but I would say typically if I was to give it an average time would probably be like maybe half an hour to an hour, maybe 20 minutes to 45 minutes. What would you say your average time is?
1: I would say it's longer than that. And I don't know if it's, I guess it depends. Like, it seems like, um, if there's no wind, it's going to be a longer drawn out deal. Like, Mm -hmm. and I'm, I I feel like I'm really good. Like I'm in tune with how fast I need to go and what I can get away with. If, if it's pretty windy and gusty, like it seems like I can close the deal really quick, but if it's silent, you know, I'm sure you've been in the situation where you're like, I mean, you're so close. If this buck makes any move, it's, he stands up, it's over, you know, you're right there on the cusp of executing a perfect shot and, you know, you'll get that buck, you'll be, you can hear, you can see him down there flipping his ears and stuff like that, or you'll start coughing and you just get super nervous because it's so quiet, you know, like I'm sure you've, you've felt that too. It's mm-hmm. just, every situation is different and it just seems like, you know, the most important thing is just to,
0: to really adapt to the si- situation. You know what I mean? Oh, I love that in your talk. Uh, I want to talk about that, but I, as you bring up that point, you remind me that it, you know, those are the, the best-case scenarios when he gets up quick. I think it does take me longer, as you mentioned that. And especially, like, red zone, like, say, 200 yards to bow range, it takes a while. And it it takes every muscle in your body to move slow, doesn't it? It, it does. is so difficult. And it's so difficult to sit still and wait for that buck to stand everything's screaming at you you know your legs are screaming at you they're cramping up like it is a it is really tough to be patient you know everything's uh, telling you to to throw a rock or to get the buck up and you just fight those urges but I think you're right I think if I was to look at my average time it probably would be more to to move that 200 yards into bow range average time like probably Thirty minutes to an hour, of trying to sneak through the shadows, getting held up like it. That you know, it doesn't take me multiple hours. But then once I'm in position, yeah, a lot of times it's a long wait. It's one hours, two hours for that buck to stand. You know, thinking yep. about if I was t- to put an average, and it has been three and four hours. And in those days, oh, that is so painful to have to sit to a place for four hours. It is. And, and then. What's the worst is when you sneak to a spot and you think that's bucks there and you wait for four hours and you find out that buck was never there. He was already gone, yep. so that's the worst. I've but done that. Yeah, uh, it, it's, um, sometimes you just stalk an empty bed, but you got to believe he's there. The minute you think that buck isn't there, you start moving too quick, you make a mistake, and you blow out that deer that was right in the position where you left him. For some reason, your brain starts thinking that, Oh, this buck isn't here anymore. Oh, this buck already moved. I I don't, for, for no reason. Yeah, like I, you, I
1: need to speed up there and see this buck. I need to get my eyes on him. I need to go now. Like, yeah. Yep.
0: Yeah. Well, and um, your, your mind tries to force you at the end to hurry up and get into position. Like the last 15, 20 yards should be your slowest time. Yep. But your mind's screaming at you to hurry up and see if he's there, hurry up and get into position, right?
1: Yep. Yeah. You, you know, one thing I've noticed, like, so the closer I get and the longer I'm on, like, when you first get in there, you're just on edge and you're just, your emotions are just going, you know, your heart's beating out of your chest. It's hard to control your beating, you, you control, you know, your breathing and stuff like that. But as you sit there and the longer you're in bow range, the calmer you get. Me the, too. And the more, you know what I mean? And then you yes. know, like, when this happens – I'm going to execute because I'm calmed down. So it it really helps, you know, to slow down to get in there. It'll help. It'll help get you set up for that shot, you know, help you focus on executing a good shot, getting drawn and doing all the things that you do. And you, you
0: practice when you shoot your bow. So you're right. Um, yeah. When you're just stalking and getting in and sometimes, I mean, um, we do it for the excitement, right? If I don't get excited more anymore, I'm not going to do it. But it's trying to harness that excitement. But even on the stock, like on the end stock, like and especially like my first stock of the year before I'm really comfortable or, you know, the more you stock, the more comfortable you get. But on that first stock, I start getting close and my legs will be shaking. Like I have a hard time even putting my foot placement and going slow. Like you can make a mistake that way too. Does, do yours, does your body do that too?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah it's you get kind of fidgety and you're not as, as, as
0: calm, you know, Mm-hmm. you get into that too, where I, I really got that adrenaline surging through me, you know, and it's like, I really got to take some deep breaths, calm myself down. Like this is what I've waited for, but I do like what you said about that time. Like that time you have waiting for that buck to stand, it's like you can start to make sense out of it in your head and your adrenaline can't run for three hours straight. Yep. Like all of a sudden that adrenaline starts to to tail off, you start to get calmer, you start to get ready for that opportunity. So when that buck does stand, you settle your pen and let it happen. Yep. Um, how many shots do you take from your knees versus standing? Um
1: Man. That's a I, I don't yeah i would say a lot of my shots are actually from my knees mine seems too. Like, yeah i would say 50 50 like
0: yeah i would say the same thing if not even more so from my knees but yeah probably somewhere around that 50 50 shooting from your knees is so important and so i practice that a bunch but i bet you i'm 15 20 yards worse from my knees just because i don't have my legs for that core stabilization do you find the same thing
1: oh yeah yeah, yeah no doubt like every time i'm in that situation when you're on your knees and you know you can't get up. You're like, I have to, I have to sit in the position that's going to give me the best opportunity when this buck does stand. You know, you don't want to be standing, so you're sitting there on your knees. And the second
0: that you come to full draw, it's, you, you realize right away it's not, it's not like shooting when you're standing up, you know? Yeah. Well, and it's so tough because when I'm sitting there waiting for a buck to stand, I have to be ready. For all that hour, two hours, three hours, whatever it is, you have to be ready to make that shot. So you have to be sitting in your shooting position, whether that's knees or standing. You have to have your bow in front of you, arrow knocked, uh, release on. Like you have to, it's go time. You have to be ready to go. And it's so tough. Like you can't take a break and lay down and relax a little bit. And you just keep shifting positions because this leg falls asleep and that leg falls asleep. But you really have to be. Uh, uh, tuned into the situation, like, ready for your yep. opportunity, don't you? Yeah,
1: you just saying that, like, it reminds me of this time. So I killed this big non-typical and...
0: Is that the big three with the stickers or no, another this, one? No, this was a different one. I okay. Killed,
1: yeah, um, I killed this buck a couple of years ago, but... Okay, I so think I remember the yeah, buck. Yeah, so Go I was ahead. Yeah, it was the one on my intro, the Travis Nwatney that, that... I saw that yeah. one. What a great buck. So I slipped right in on that buck, but I didn't know exactly where he was. I knew, like, I was I was within bow range right there. And I, rather than force the issue, I just sat down and I was waiting And I was doing that same thing. I'm sitting there, I'm baking in the sun, sweats beating down across my eye. I'm trying to keep it out of my eyes and, I'm, you know, I'm trying not to move. Cause I know at any moment this, this buck can get up and anyway, I'm just like shifting my weight, my legs falling asleep and I'm like, you know, just my legs, I can't, they're numb, you know? So I I straighten my leg out, and I'm just looking in front of me. And I've been, like, the whole time I've been, like, keyed in on everything else. But it's gotten to the point where my legs are so asleep, I'm not even going to be able to stand to shoot if I needed to stand. So I'm, like, trying to stretch. The second I do that, like, I put my leg out like this out in front of me, and I, I just, like, slowly pick my head up, and that buck is, like, 30 yards so he just stood up from his bed and he's looking right. <laughs> like I, 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 I thought that was over. I was like, this, it's over. Like so, I'm sitting there, like I'm like, shit. Like you, the second I wasn't paying attention, he's looking at me. <laughs> so I'm just sitting there and he just turns his head and starts feeding on bitterbrush mm-hmm. and starts wearing left. I'm like, oh, thank goodness, you know. And then he actually came right up to me. It was just right on the other side of this fence, and I shot him at like I, I, from here to that door, like oh wow, th- three yards. And it was funny because. So he was coming straight to me right he was feeding from bitter brush to bitter brush. and I couldn't I couldn't draw because the whole time he's sitting there you know displaying that those antlers right in front of me you know feeding up on this bitter brush and I'm just just trying to sink lower and lower and lower and as he's coming right to me but I think he's gonna jump the fence right in my lap that's what I'm thinking you know so he walks right up to the fence and he sticks his head down like he was he was he was eating some bitter brush like he was at first like he was going to sniff the ground and then jump the fence the second he does that he puts his head down and there was a little bush right in front of him. I mean just barely covered his eyes and I came to full draw and I settled right and I was going to shoot him right between the shoulder blades right through the bar bar fence I was I was just oh, wow. just about to punch it off and he turns to the left broadside right there and I, I'm not I'm not like I could literally spit on this buck if I wanted to. <laughs> and and as, quick as, I, as quick as I could make sure that I was in between the two barbed wires in the center behind his lungs, I just punched it off and hammered him. And he ran like 30 yards and piled up. But, man, is it exciting when it's like that right in your face. And it, it's just so hard to keep it together. you got to do everything right, you know, and, and see it through to the bitter end.
0: That is so intense. You're right. You have to do everything right. These stocks. And these that come together, like like, like it, you have to make a 100 right decisions. Your instincts have to be so spot on. And if you would have made one mistake there, if you would have moved when his head was looking at you, if you would have tried to draw at the wrong time, if you, you would have tried to, to take the wrong shot and nick that, that fence, there is a 100 decisions that had to go perfect yep and so when you hone your instincts and you get this experience and you talked about it in your seminar of high opportunity experience go to these places that have a bunch of bucks get doe tags i know where i'm at they'll give me five white tail doe tags and those things will sharpen your skill hunt antelope like that experience is the best teacher you can have and you get you know, you get these ideas and you hear people talk about being successful and it's, it's using that information, but, but it's, it's also like gaining that experience because that's the best teacher out there and it hones your instincts. And then you rely upon these instincts to guide you when you're in those clutch moments. But dude, how intense is that?
1: Oh, it is. It's just like in that situation. I mean, in my younger years, as soon as that buck was looking at me, I might've tried to draw, Yep, me. but I've learned that doesn't work. Mm-mm. Like, and I just know better. Like my, my body's screaming, go, 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 go. But I'm, I'm just, you just, know, better. just be calm. Yes. It's going to happen. It's going to have a worst case scenario. This buck blows up, you know, cause he gets too close to me and I don't have a chance to draw. Well, I still got an opportunity. He might stop and look back. So you try to draw when he's right there in, in sight, it's over. He ain't going to look mm-hmm. back. He's gone. So.
0: And I noticed that those bucks, like one of the most nerve-wracking things. So like I told you, I like to, to draw on bucks as they stand. Sometimes that's a good situation, but sometimes it doesn't lend itself or they stand up looking in your direction or they stand up and their vitals are covered. I notice when these bucks stand, like when these bucks stand, um you know, back to like reading their mannerisms, like they get up And and their first instinct is to look around for danger. Mm -hmm. They're going to look below them. They're going to look to the left of them. I mean, they're really on high alert when they stand up. They're really looking around. And so a lot of times I'll let this buck stand and I'll stay motionless. And sometimes that buck will stand and be looking right at me like in your case. And that buck will stare and he just stares a hole right through you. And you're like, God, does he see me? Does he see me right now? And then pretty soon he'll turn his head the other way or he'll go down to feeding. Like that's the opportunity oh, yeah. you're looking for to stroke that buck isn't it
1: oh yeah they'll sit yeah. there and they'll 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 either go like to feed it you'll see them they'll, they'll twitch their ears and, and like shake the bu- flies off or whatever and they'll you just see them relax they literally like shake their body almost and and they'll either either be feeding or they'll reach back and maybe start licking themselves or scratching themselves and then they'll go to feed for a little bit yes. before they go move their bed and that's that's your opportunity
0: that's it and i i also noticed like back to reading their mannerisms like elk are great because they've got five foot of antlers above mm-hmm. their head you can tell where their horns are looking but the first thing you're going to see on these muleys too is their horns and you can almost read their mannerisms just from their horns and oh, the yeah. way they're facing uh like you'd mentioned bucks falling asleep and tilting their head to the side or you can tell which direction they're looking in which direction they're looking uh, you know will dictate whether or not you can come over and shoot like I had this great buck late season this year with these big backs and these dark heavy horns and uh my buddy Dan was filming for me and we got in close but the way the topography dictated itself we we couldn't come to the right we had to come right over the ridge and where we had to come over we were 20 yards from this thing where he was bedded and the first thing I could see was his antlers and he was bedded looking right in our direction. So. As much as I wanted to shoot him in his bed You can't I yeah. can't. I had I had no decision but to sit there and wait and watch his antlers and I could see him twisting to the side and we waited there 45 minutes an hour and it was a screaming wind or whatever and uh, I really thought I was going to kill that buck and the wind swirled down and he winded us and blew out of there never stood up never gave me a shot you know just like where they shoot out of their bed when they catch that wind so it didn't work out that time but reading those horns and the direction they are and also how erratic they're turning you can tell where that buck's looking if you can expose yourself or come over and shoot him in his bed or if you have to wait and didn't work out that time but you know it's worked out before and it'll work out in the future but keeping tabs on those horns is so important
1: oh you can learn so much and the more you you can hunt and get those stocks you're gonna learn that and then it's gonna become second nature you knew if you came over the top of that rim to get on that buck it's over it's not gonna work it wouldn't have worked out anyway so you're taking a chance you know do I take a chance that the wind might switch well I know if I, I pop over too early it's not gonna work out anyway Definitely so not. i yeah. just leave it a chance
0: yes for sure um, so you had mentioned earlier, I thought this was so important and one of the favorite parts of the talk that you gave today was adapting to the situation you're given. So like you just talked about, um, uh, like when you plan your stock, you're planning big landmarks so you know where that buck is. And I think it's really important. It always looks different when you get over there. So it's like marking your landmarks like you say, and then I'll take a picture of that hillside. I'll even mark it on on X where I think the buck is, where I think I'm going to shoot. But every time you get over there, it's always different. Like when you're working down on that buck, the, the, to plan a stock from the other hillside, you have a rough game plan, but then you get over there and maybe there's a coolie or there's a rise you couldn't tell, or maybe now the wind over here is coming a different direction. I need to come in farther from the left. So, so talk about that a little bit, like adapting to the situation, because you're really good at it. And then you did really good in your talk as well, explaining that.
1: Yeah, I would say, um, I mean, adapting to the situation and the train is bow hunting. Like if you don't adapt, like n- not every situation is going to be textbook and very rarely, rarely is it like most of the time, just like you say, I come up with a basic idea of what I think is going to happen and I get over there and then I fine tune my stock depending on what the wind's doing, what the train is like, and it's just a, a constant, um, Adaptation, you know, you fine tune it, fine tune it, fine tune it until it's perfection and next thing you know, you're in the red zone at any moment, you know, it, it could
0: happen. So yeah, you, um, you you adapt to the situation and you kind of these instincts that we've honed over the years, you realize what you can get away with and what you can't. Do you realize what the bad decision is? And sometimes you get over there and there is no move. And so you just have to hold up and wait for the buck to move or wait for him to get up. And so you'll do that as well. Like you're aggressive in making a play on a buck once it's afternoon. Uh, But do you ever get over there and the wind isn't right and you've got to stage up uh, or or, or wait for the situation to change? Oh, yeah, all the time. Like
1: that happens quite a bit, you know. If, If I can avoid backing out and having to go all the way back to my vantage point, I will, you know. That's why it's nice to... Get in as close as you can, and still keep the wind within your favor, so you can just wait for the next move. You know, when that buck gets up and stretches and gives himself up, you can you can close the gap a little more. You know, you're so in striking distance. That's it. Like, yeah, that's often. I mean, how often do you see a buck, and you're like, oh, that buck's in a perfect spot to kill if I was over there. Yeah, well, I'll say if every you day. get if you yeah. get within you get within striking distance, it's that's you know it can change just like that. Yeah.
0: Now, if you lose sight of a buck, or what are you doing
1: then? Uh, it, it depends like how the, the country is, I guess, if I, I feel like I can tiptoe from tree to tree and, and have a good chance of turning that buck up again without him spotting me, that's something I might do if the wind is, is solid, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, cause you should, for the most part, you should have a good general idea of maybe if he wasn't, you know, if he's not there, maybe he wrapped around the hillside or something like that, but you know, it's not worth blowing the buck out worst case scenario if I gotta back out and go back to my vantage, I will. So
0: Yeah. I'd I'd say I play it the same. Like sometimes I get there and the buck isn't there and it's kind of like, well, I'm going to go look over this little rise or look around the corner to see if he's feeding there. Look over here and see if I can find him. And so I'm tiptoeing around, kind of glassing for him. But if I get lost and can't find him, and sometimes if I lose the buck, you're right. Like sometimes your only option is to go back to the vantage point and try to relocate him and not blow him out yep. of there.
1: You know when you can do it safely. Like you're not going to be reckless. You know what I mean? The second that you're like, uh, uh, that's the time to, to pull back and just go back to your... The vantage point. So. Yeah,
0: relocate him. try to find him. make another game plan. Yeah, then. the worst
1: thing you want to do is blow out your target buck, and then mm-hmm.
0: then you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, I love that. Adapting to the situation. I use it a ton on elk. Like elk is, um, you know, y- you can't plot a stock on elk. Like very rarely do you have one bedded that you're making a play. Sometimes, you know, it works out. And if I know his exact position, I'll make a stock on him. But it seems like elk are that way, where I'll see a herd or I'll see a bull, and I just got to get over there and then adapt to the situation and sometimes I've got to freeze for an hour because there's a cow in the way or sometimes I've got to freeze because the bull's on the other side of the cows or they're where they can see me or I've got to shadow them a little bit but I think elk hunting is totally that way where you're just reliant upon your instincts and adapting to the situation or all animals are that way I just I I guess I notice it more on elk because I'm hunting them on their feet and they move so much so they're never in the same place when you get over there they've always move somewhere they're always moving and so you've got to move with them and just keep adapting and and then you're relying upon those instincts to see that cow before she sees you to see the herd before they see you and nothing makes me madder than when I make a mistake like that where you're relying upon your instincts or you come over a rise and you're expecting them to be straight in front of you and all of a sudden, you turn to your right, and you've just exposed yourself, and that whole herd is just down and you. over to the right. So you got to be good at like uh, really moving slow when you're getting close, and looking around you to the left and to the right. And try, you ha- the game is to see them before they see you, and then you can yep. adapt to that situation. But the moment you give yourself away, it's all over.
1: Yeah, it seems like with elk, it's just just cat and mouse. You're you're just just out, outside where they're going to pick you off, and you're just hugging that zone right there for them to slip up, you know, like, oh, here they are going through the saddle. I can loop around this ridge right here and I'm going to cut them off. It's just like you're constantly adapting and you're sticking with them and you're just waiting for that opportunity. And the second that that opportunity comes, you're like right now, now's the time I got to, I got to cut, you know, when it is, if you've done it mo- enough, you yeah. know? Yeah. So, and it's, it seems like it's a lot different than deer hunting, you know, deer hunting is a little more calculated and elk hunting is just more sporadic. Like you, you're just monitoring the elk, not getting busted trying to avoid the cows and and waiting for that opportunity a lot of times you know with those elk you know they might start feeding in your direction and that bull's running
0: around chasing cows you know and that's just by staying with the elk that's the best way to do it yeah staying with them yeah shadowing the herd waiting for your opportunity to go all in and and it's you know after doing it like you say you just hone these instincts to where you make these correct decisions and it's you know you talked about confidence and it is confidence in your decisions you can't be second guessing or it can't you know you you realize the situation you make your decision and then you follow through with it you yep. know and and having confidence in your moves and in your instincts and it doesn't work out every time we we still yep. blow animals we we still make mistakes we still blow deer out but uh if you rely upon those instincts and hone those instincts you 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 know, you, you're just going to make good decisions in the moment. And you described it perfectly, perfectly. Like that is bow hunting.
1: Yep. The longer you do it and the more you learn and the more you fail, the more you're going to recognize that situation and you're going to know it's going to be screaming at you, go, this is it. This is your moment, you know? And then having confidence, knowing that the sliver of an opportunity that you get, you're going to capitalize on it. Like that's, you know, I know if I get that opportunity, if I get the full draw, it's done if i if if I don't make the shot and something goes awry, I'm surprised. you know mm-hmm. I'm just I'm that confident and that's how I look at it, and you know things don't always go as planned, but I'm also quick to forget. so mm-hmm. I know that well, well, that one, the buck jumped my string happens mm-hmm.
0: onto the next mule deer will jump the string won't yep. they yeah they um i'd say one out of four probably jump the string on those mule deer and to me it doesn't make any difference if they know you're there or not like uh, uh uh people say if they know you're there they're high alert to you they're more apt to jump the string but i've had a buck bedded dang near asleep that i've shot at the that almost got out of his bed before my arrow hit him. Yeah. He started to stand up right as the arrow was coming in and got him low and I had to put another arrow in him. He yep. was bleeding pretty good and hurt. But um, I they'll just jump your string. They hear that bow yep. and they'll just react. Do you find that too, that deer will jump your string or do you have better luck than I do?
1: I, I think I have better luck. I think with antelope they jump my string a lot. They're just yep. or be gone before the arrow even gets Because yeah, you know? Most of the more. time they're tuned in on you, you yep. know, when you get the shot. It seems like you know and then with bucks, it's like or with mule deer, it's I'm either right on top of, I'm so close that when I get the shot, it's too, they're too quick. You know, it's the They might try there. to react, but it's the too arrow's late. already it's there. It's too late. Yeah. It seems like I'm either right on top of them, or it's a little further shot. So by the time they hear the shot go off, it's it's too late mm-hmm. as well. So that's good. It yeah. seems like I don't kill a lot of deer in that mid range.
0: It's a little you know closer to my outer effective range, or right on top of them. Okay. So. Yeah, I heard Randy Ulmer talking the other day, and I think he had a a tough thing go down in like Colorado where he lost a buck this year where he hit him high and back but he was saying like three out of four jump his string yeah. is what he was saying yeah. and he's killed some big deer over the years mm-hmm. and I, I think um, you know when you have a bad situation or a bad scenario you know it gets you thinking about things or second yeah. guessing them but yeah you just got to keep making moves and um, you know animals will jump your string. Elk seem to really wait on your arrow. Antelope are notoriously bad for jumping your string. Yeah. I've had a buck that I had to stop shooting at that I shot at him twice and he jumped my string both times and he gave me a third shot and it was like I I know what's gonna happen here it's like man this thing is on to me you know but eventually you get one to hold still but I would say I have muley bucks jump my string for sure
1: it seems like with me like I think maybe because most of the time I shoot the deer you know if, if if I if they know I'm there it's because I'm so close and it's I just came to full draw they caught me and I'm the shots breaking off if they're a little further, they're not aware of my presence. So I think, you know, mm-hmm. for me anyway, yeah. in my, yep. in my I experience. Have good, I have
0: pretty good luck too, but I, I do have some jump my strength, yep. you know. And, and maybe I just have some um, bad ones that I really remember that stick out in my head that makes me think it's more like a yeah. one and four when it's actually maybe a one yeah. and six or yeah. one and eight or something. It, but. it might
1: be a little different too, you know. I'm a lot bigger guy than you. I shoot an 80-pound bow, and I've got a 29-and-a-half-inch draw. My arrow gets there pretty quick. You yeah. Know? I can get away with a lot more than you can. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. I can be off by 10 yards and I'm still going to hit that buck, you know, mm-hmm. in a rush. Mm-hmm. So, And I
0: notice a little wind noise, too, seems to help with that, where they don't jump the string as bad. Uh-huh. Still days, it seems like they'll jump the string worse than they will windy days, at least in my experience. Yeah. I, yeah. I, yep. Yep. A little bit more um, uh, sound cover for sure. Mm-hmm. It's so fun, isn't it? It's it's yeah there's nothing better oh man um yeah i know you just live and die to bow hunt and uh i'm the same way and it's the ultimate challenge i think that's why we like it so much it's like the more you put into things like the the more you get out of it when it when it comes together and it takes years to hone your skill like we're 20 years into our journey or more even hunting as kids or whatever but we're a long ways into our journey where we have figured out how to be consistently successful, but it takes years to hone these skills and you have to make these mistakes and gain this experience to hone those instincts. A- and then stuff just starts dying. There's like yep. a, like a turning point there, but it is, you know, it's maximum effort all the time. It, it's believing in yourself, believing you're going to turn up a buck and believing that you can put a good arrow in them. Yep. hundred percent. Yep. And, um, capitalizing on opportunities, not taking shortcuts on these stocks. Like um, you mentioned it. I, I keep referencing your, your talk, but you talked about um, you know, giving it, what, how did you describe it? A hundred percent, or you're going to give it a hundred percent, or you're going to take the stock that you're a hundred percent confident in. So you don't sneak across a meadow where that buck could look down and catch you. You take the long way around. Yeah,
1: you, sl- you slow it down. Like you don't try to complete the stock right now. You don't try to force the situation. You let it unfold. And you get away with you get away with things as it unfolds. You know instinctively if you're in tune, you know, you've done it enough, you know what you can get away with and what you can't. You know that, you know, that buck's alert down there, it's time to hold up for a while. You might have to sit there for twenty minutes till he relaxes and then you just start tiptoeing in. Like the biggest thing the biggest takeaway or advice I would give to guys is don't look at a stock as, oh, the more stocks I get then eventually one's going to happen. Treat every single stock as if it's your last stock and don't get lazy. If, if you have to circle the mountain to not get seen and get the wind, right? You circle the mountain and not get seen and get the wind, right? Like that's what it takes. So,
0: Oh, you're so right. Right. Yeah, that's that's a a great way to put it. And then just be clutch. Like uh, when you get your opportunity, be clutch on your stock, be clutch on your shot and embrace that moment. Look for it and want it. And you did a good job of describing a a, a seizing the moment or uh, looking for a sliver of opportunity. Like, uh, if you see your shot on that buck and you know you can kill him, recognizing it and capitalize on it. Yep. Like, you, you don't wait too long. Like, things can go wrong. Things can happen. When you see that broadside, when you see that shot you've been looking for, it's your time to be clutch. Yep. Yeah. Well, you do such a good job at it. I just really appreciate it. So um, uh, talk about that uh, fixed blade that you came out with, too. It seems like guys are really liking that. Super light, super sharp, right? I haven't even – got to get my hands on one while you're here. Yes, yeah, so I've yeah. got
1: – it's called the Tur Carbon Pro, and it's a, a two-piece fixed blade. It's got a titanium handle, and uh, it, the blade is made from Nitro-V. So it's got a good uh, Rockwell hardness, so it'll hold an edge for a long time. But it's not so hard – that you can't put an edge back on it. So in my opinion, it's great for hunters. You know, hunters aren't, for the most part, knife enthusiasts and experts at sharpening knives. You know, they want to be able to put a quick sharpen on that thing and be able to complete the job. But it that that blade is also good enough that, uh, you know, you can break an entire elk in the field down and not really have to put anything, you know, tune it up until you get home. So Wow. Yeah, it's also got that quarter-inch drive hole, which you can also use as um, you get a couple O-rings or just pack some Allen bits. You can fix things in the field. So it's just about uh, being ultra-lightweight ultra functional and you know killing two birds with one stone so
0: man that's so cool and what's the uh, replaceable blade knife what what's so that one called again th-
1: that's the capra hunter
0: so capra hunter okay cool well uh they're great knives travis is a blue collar guy that just works his butt off to be consistently successful and and i always like supporting your guys and your endeavor and and uh, uh uh not just supporting you because you are one of us but also that it's a great product so yeah thanks a bunch for coming on man
1: yeah i appreciate you having me it's it's Always awesome to get together and talk
0: bow hunting. So yeah, for sure. All right. All right, guys. That's a wrap. Fun conversation with Travis. That guy is just consistently successful on Western game. A guy knows how to bow hunt, and he's a he's a blue collar hunter. He's he's working an electrical job nine to five. He's got that uh, that other company we mentioned, Goat Knives, that he works hard at. And he really makes the most of his time, and that's that goes for scouting and for hunting. Just extremely efficient. Um, it's not easy to to be consistently successful on these uh, easy to draw tags out west, and and he somehow finds a way year after year, species after species. So, uh, just love talking to that guy, and uh, really appreciate appreciate his time on the podcast. Uh, make sure to go check out our sponsors. Uh, check out Sig Sauer Optics. Uh, again, I am just blown away at those image stabilizing binos. Uh, those things are going to be a game changer. Um, it's just like on a windy Ridge and looking into a place, it just stabilizes, you know, what you're looking, you lose that little bit of shake. It's like always looking through your binos with, um, being tripodted up. So I'm, I'm super impressed by them. Um, those they've got their standard binos, which I absolutely love. I've been using those 11 by 45s. I believe they're the, um, Oscar Nine or the, gosh, I I forget the name of them, but the um they're the eleven by forty fives. Also love that scope, that twenty seven by fifty five by eighty mil objective. Uh, range finders are awesome, real consistent readings. Which you know, not many guys talk about their range finding game, but it's a major piece to the puzzle. You have to have the absolute best archery range finder you can buy, uh, and Sig Sauer definitely fits that bill. Uh, Also, make sure to check out Swagger. Shooting a rifle accurately is all about your rest, and Swagger has the best ones out there. And whether you like a bipod on your rifle or shooting sticks, they do a great job at both. Uh, Being able to track your target uh, is just priceless, like being on that rifle and being able to swing left or swing right as that animal moves. So super cool stuff. Uh, Make sure to check out Swagger. Uh, Again, we've got that promo code for the magazine, Elevated321. And uh, got those speaking engagements coming up: um, uh, the twentieth in Phoenix, twenty-second in Salt Lake City. Uh, so super excited about those! Uh, if you're in the area, uh, come down and see us. And um, Mountain Archery Fest on Saturday would be fun too. Uh, I think we're going to be there actually Friday, Saturday, and then I fly out Sunday morning back home. But um, yeah, it's just a busy summer here, but I couldn't be more excited for season. Uh, cut these legs loose and go for it. So just trying to get everything right, get get my mind right, uh, get my responsibilities taken care of, uh, make sure my family's all good, um, getting all the necessary gear. Uh, I've got to start in on my meal prep so I can get some of that done, um, but super excited. And uh, we're going to try to capture these for some videos this year. Uh, I got a go-getter cameraman that I'm super excited about. Um, so yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna go out and and try to capture as many of these things as we can. So, uh, should be a super fun season. Um, man, I, it just, uh, it seems like every year the anticipation builds and builds for, um, season and, and, uh, getting after it. Uh, absolutely can't wait as I know you guys are getting excited as well. I see those download numbers uh, going up as as you guys are listening to more podcasts and readying yourself for season as well. So just gonna try to get you guys the absolute best information for season that's that's pertinent to the hunting you'll be doing. And so uh, gonna gonna knock out some of these solo podcasts. Uh, make sure I have some of those done and released. And then really good guests. Uh, got I got to hit up. Um, been so short on time, but. Uh, Got to hit up Robbie Denning. That one's going to be a great one. We're going to do a long podcast on that one. And uh, yeah, I got some other ones that I've got lined up. One on elk calling is, you know, I don't do much calling. Most of mine is spot and stock, And um, so it'll be good to get a really good caller on there that really understands the process and calls in a bunch of bulls. So uh, excited to get one of those on there. Of course, high country mule deer is coming up. Try to get some good recordings there. So like I say, just try to get you guys that really good information that helps make our community better. So I really appreciate the support you guys. Uh, with that, I got to get packed for this trip, uh, get some more construction work done. Uh, Barney construction is just busy as all get out here. But uh, we're managing and getting things done, and we got a great crew. And so um, we'll just keep on keeping on and, and uh, making our way through it and get to hunting season here. So uh, thanks a bunch, of you guys. I really appreciate the support. I really appreciate it on social media, support of the podcast. You guys, uh, those downloads are the reason why this podcast works and the reason I can continue to bring you this information. So I really appreciate the support, uh, the the shares and like the stories on social media, like anything to push this podcast uh, to help grow it and uh, help build this community. So I appreciate you guys. And uh, with that, check in with you next week.